0: Thank you for joining Sumter Chapel's weekly podcast. We hope that this message encourages you and speaks life to your spirit. As always, we pray that this podcast will further God's kingdom by seeing one more made new. Now, let's get started with today's message. Last week, we began the conversation around how quickly our culture has changed. That Our, our culture has shifted rapidly over the last decade. And I don't expect it to slow down over this next decade. The culture is rapidly shifting. And if we're going to be ascent people, if we're going to be missionaries, we have to meet the culture where it is. We have to go where people are in order to reach them where they are. So we have to become missionaries. We have to begin to analyze our culture and look at our culture and look at the families and the community around us and say, where are people at? Where do I need to be? How do I need to engage with people? That, that has to be how we think about our relationship with God and our relationship with others. That how can I meet people where they're at? And, and that's part of it. But the next part of, of a rapidly changing culture is then when we meet people where we're at, where they're at, we have to then call them into a relationship with God. A relationship with God that doesn't look like where the culture's at, right? There's this calling out of culture that happens. It's what happened to us if we all tell our testimony of of Jesus coming to us. That's what happened to us. He called us out of whatever, our life, our sin, uh, whatever it is, He called us out. He called us out to become like Him, to follow Him, right? And that becomes our mission, that we don't just meet people where we are, but then we... We call them out of it. Because if we're honest, the rapidly changing culture that we're seeing around us is producing a lot of unhealthy things. It's not that all the changes are bad or good. It's not that that anything is inherently bad or good. But some of the results of how people are changing because of the changing culture, there are some very difficult and likely bad and, and and hurtful things that are happening right this fast paced culture with all the technology and all the social media and all the almost over connectedness has created a very overstressed over um, exposed over addicted over materialistic over emotional culture uh, that 's what it's produced within the people it, it People are on edge constantly because they're always accessible constantly. There's never a break from anything in anyone's life anymore, for the most part. No one ever takes a break. It's work, it's social media, it's emails, it's texting, it's calling, it's you can always get a hold of me. It's, it's one thing after another. And so as much as we have to go into the culture, we have to go to where people are and meet them there, we also have to call them to, this is what actually God designed you for. I mean, we ourselves have to step out of those influences, but then we have to look at someone and say, hey, as much as you are fully integrated into the way things are working, this is how God designed you to live. Dif- different than the culture. Not apart from the culture, but different from it. And, and this idea of being incarnate in the culture is that you're in, you're in the culture, you're in the world, you're among your, your family, your community, your workplace, the people. You're among them, but you are not like them. That's what this language of incarnation means in the Scripture. And like I said, we get it immediately from the story of Christmas. That's where we see this, this idea of incarnation most evidently, and we just came out of this season. Think about this, this, what Christmas means. What, what it means to have a God who completely implants himself into humanity. I mean, so much so that he becomes a baby and then he's completely hidden in his humanity for 30 years. No one even knows that he's God, right? They, I mean, only the ones he's told, Mary, <laughs> Joseph... No one else knows. The whole world around him has no clue that he is fully God because he's fully hidden in the humanity of Jesus. And so we get this God that fully comes to us, is sent, that missional aspect, but then he's fully God in the midst of humanity. And he, he's able to meet people where they're at, but he's able to, to say this is what I designed you for. This is how I designed you to live. This is the relationship I designed you to have. And it's Jesus displaying for us that he was able to be fully God and fully human. And in the midst of that, he was fully present. God was fully present with humanity. So as last week we said, we are sent. This this morning, we're going to focus on, we are fully present. We are fully present. But those around us that's what it means to incarnate ourselves into those around us into the culture around us that we become fully present with people in their situation and, and in their lives and in this culture so say we are fully present with me say we are fully present we are fully present that's the calling on our lives from jesus and we see it lived out in the early church in scripture that as the church grows and begins to enter into different cultures and begins to spread out to the whole world, they fully incarnate the gospel into that culture wherever it goes. Meaning they fully enter into that culture and then the gospel from the inside out changes that culture. And they, they welcome people in who are vastly different from them, who are culturally different from them, and yet it doesn't change that the gospel changes a culture from the inside out so we're in acts 15 just a couple verses acts 15 19 through 21 and we're at the end of a story where the, the church had expanded and had started to go into areas that were vastly different culturally than the jewish areas that it had been in and they had to make a decision about what does the gospel look like for these people since they aren't like us they don't have the same traditions as we do they don't had the same way of doing things. So what does it mean for them to live out the gospel? And, and they had some very crucial decisions to make as an early church about what it would look like. Would they force their Judaism onto all these people so they had to become Jews first and then Christians? Or would they just allow the gospel to be true in their culture as much as it was true in the Jewish culture? And this is the ending of a decision about how they were going to handle this situation in verses 19 through 21. So this comes from James, the brother of Jesus, as one of the leaders of the church of that day. He's sending a decision to the uh, Gentile believers or the nations, the non-Jewish believers, and this is what he says. So, and so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. And we'll do some explaining about this passage a little more, but let's pray as we hear from God's Word. Father, we ask that you would illuminate your Word and your truth to us this morning, that you desire us to not only just be a sent people, going to where people are, but then allowing ourselves to be fully present with them, and most of all, allowing you, the gospel, the, your, your very presence in a family, in a community, in a, in a culture, in a group of people, that it might transform it from the inside out, that it might allow people to begin to identify the ways <clears throat> that they're hurting, that they're broken, that they're in need of transformation. And then the gospel itself would begin to transform them through your presence. And so we pray, make us more and more like Jesus in how we go to people, but make us more and more, and more like Jesus in how we are present with them. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So this, these early people in, in the church, the early church, display for us this principle of being incarnate, in their decision about how they were going to handle the gospel moving into these Gentile areas. And this word Gentile in the English is, is a word ethnos. It means ethnicities, nations, people groups. That's what it means. So, so a lot of times when Americans, when we read our Bible, we read Jews and Gentiles as if it's two groups, as if it's like um, white American, black American, right, or something like that. But they didn't have those categories <laughs> in that day. We kind of create, we've, as Americans, we're so smart. We've created our own categories for people that don't exist. Uh, they, they had people groups. There were people groups during that day, actual people groups, right, that had cultures and many of them their own gods and, right, all this kind of stuff. And when it says the Gentiles, when you read the Bible, it, say, it means the nations, all the other people groups that were not Jews. That's what it means, that you had a Jewish people group and then you had all the other people groups of the world, whatever they were, African, Asian, and of course within African you have thousands of people groups. So uh, I can't even name all the different people groups that exist because there's like 6,000 of them in the world. And, and so it, when it says that the Jewish Christians were making a decision about the Gentile Christians, all the other people groups that were experiencing a move of God among them, what they were trying to figure out is... What does it mean to follow Jesus, to be like Jesus, for someone who isn't Jewish? That's what they were asking. Because, you know, Jesus came to the Jews first, and almost all the early Christians were Jews. The initial wave of Christianity were all Jews. And Jewish people have a very specific cultural heritage. If you've never been around Jewish people, they have a very specific cultural heritage, right? And they do very specific things. Festivals, they dress a certain way, they have certain acts um, that they perform certain celebrations that they're a part of and and so this was a very real issue do we take all of our culture and force it upon this people group that know nothing of judaism and then teach them how to follow jesus or do we teach them what does it mean to follow jesus in your culture and that was a decision they had to come to and they made the right decision in the leading of the holy spirit to say there are some principles and I'm not going to unpack all these principles, but there are these principles, like not eating food, the not eating, consuming blood. There are these principles that we think are transferable, but we don't have to force our culture on them. There are principles about what it means to follow Christ that can transfer from culture to culture, but I don't have to force my customs on them. I, I don't have to tell them they have to become like me to be like Jesus. They can become like Jesus. In their culture and in who they are and then we can unite together under Jesus in our different cultures it was a it was a powerful decision early on in the church that allowed for the spread of the church if if they had made the reverse decision the church would have halted it would have been very difficult for the spread of the gospel because they would have been forcing people Into Judaism. I mean, just from a practical standpoint alone, they would have been asking entire groups of adult males to be circumcised, which would not have been a popular decision (laughs) among adult males. Right? I mean that's a very practical issue for Jewish people. And they would have been asking all of these non Jewish people, okay, you need to do this, and they probably would have lost a lot of people. There's a nom out, I'm good. And that's and a kind of a humorous example, but it's a serious thing. Are we going to, as a people of God, are we going to say, all right, I'm sent to these people, but I'm also not called to make them like me. I'm called to be Jesus to them, to allow them to begin a relationship with Jesus, and to, to help them see, okay, how can you become like Jesus? You don't have to become like me to become like Jesus. And this is a real issue in our day. A real issue in a very, um, and, and I, sometimes I don't believe we're divided by choice, but in a very divisive culture, in a, in a culture today that as rapidly as it has shifted, it's shifted more and more towards division. What is called in a lot of the circles tribalism. There's kind of become this tribalism, right? That I find these people that are like me and I kind of huddle up together with them and then, and then anyone who's not like me is bad. Basically, and and I don't even have the reason, don't have to have a reason to not like you, but you're not like, you're not like me, so I don't like you. And that's popping up in our culture. It's very tribalistic, like I'm defined by my people group and there's, there's no really, I might be cordial with someone different than me, but they can't be a part of my people. Basically, they can't be a part of my little group, my tribe. And that's dangerous for the people of God because the people of God are meant to be one tribe across culture. We don't deny culture. We don't say you have to become like us, but we say even in our differences, we're together in this. And so you may worship God differently than I do. You may even speak a different language than I do, and yet we are one in our relationship with Christ, and so we will work out what does it look like to be one while being different. What does it look like for us to have a a relational, deep relational tie with one another while remaining unique in how God created us and culturally unique? And the only way that happens is by being fully present with others. That's the only way it happens is by being fully present with other people. Say that again with me. We are fully present. Say that. We are fully present. I mean, if you think about a relationship you have with someone who is different from you, who, who you perceive to be different from you, whether it's age, they're in a different age bracket, whether it's cultural heritage, whether it's language barrier. If there's someone that you perceive to be different, like it's a perception issue most of the time, because if we're honest, all humans are pretty much the same, <laughs> but we have very different cultural things sometimes, and I say, okay, so the way you do this is different than I do this, the only way to understand them and to get to know them is to be present with them, to be present with them, to be there, to, to watch them, to, to participate in how they do things and the way they do things and why they do them. That's the, the only way for me to unite myself with someone else is to be fully present with them. The only way to experience the unity that Jesus started is to be fully present with people. And so I don't just go to people as Jesus calls me to go to people. I go to them in order to be present with them. And this is, this is a huge ordeal for the church today when we say, how do we reach a rapidly changing culture? How do we reach... Uh, a rapidly divided society? How do we reach a, a, a group of people that we call Americans that seem to have no interest in formalized religion any longer, right? But it doesn't mean they don't have interest in God and in a relationship with Jesus, but they've made the decision, we know this to be statistically true, I'm not as interested in showing up to church. What we have to get back to is the basics of how the early church reached those around them. The rapid growth of the early church came about because people were going to where people were. They were being sent by God. They felt a calling by God to go to those around me, go to the families around me, my neighbors, my co-workers, go to, to them, not ask them to show up where I'm at, but actually go to where they are, and then being fully present with them. Being fully present with them, building a relationship with them, and not just surface level relationships, but relationships that go deep and that become transformative. And this is why in our mission statement, we start out with a scent phrase a being sent phrase seek all people that we seek all people and then we continue it into a phrase that talks about what it means to be fully present with people that we seek all people to gather at the table and band together and that language is intentional that language is intentional those two things can happen as a part of one process but sometimes they're two separate stages in a process that once we've entered into going to, to, to take the gospel to someone, we've got to start a relationship with them somewhere. And you know the easiest place to start that relationship is around a table. Over few, food, over coffee. We, do, we know this to be true. It's, this isn't something that's like outside of our perspective. But in a culture that's rapidly divided, You know the one place that people still come together across all creeds? Food. Like, you can get some people to show up to eat some food together. And somewhat coffee. Our culture is a little coffee addicted, I'll I'll admit. I love some coffee. So coffee has become that. Coffee shops are places people meet. But even even in the business world, most meetings happen, what, around tables. It's, It's incredible to me, this imagery of the table that Scripture sets out, the table of Jesus, we get the altar table in most churches, or some sort of an altar table. We've formalized it over thousands of years into this table that just kind of sits somewhere, right? Up at the stage area of a church. But it was a literal table. Like I don't know how we've moved so far, but Jesus literally sat at tables with people, right? He went to the tax collector's homes. He, he so much was present with those around him, that then he began to get accused of the things they were doing even though he wasn't, right? You must be a drunkard and a glutton because you eat with all the drunkards and the gluttons. (laughs) And yet he wasn't. He just sat at tables with them. And there's something powerful about the table, about a place of meeting with other people and relationships form around tables. But it doesn't just stop there. This language of banding together has has multiple meanings to it as well. I mean, one of them is it's like the idea of, a, of in war or in the military language of a band of brothers, a band of soldiers, a, a band of gr- a group of people that say we're going to be on mission together. Like we're going to do this together. We're going to become like Jesus together. And so these two ideas of being Sent and being fully present are built into who we desire to be. We desire to seek people out. We desire to gather people. And we desire to band together. And those two things kind of go together. We desire to be fully present, fully transparent, fully honest, fully in relationship with one another. And as a, as a group, like as God has been forming us, we, we've reached the point of gathering people. We've done that. That's kind of become the first step of last year in getting through the fall. But now we're at the stage of going deeper, of banding together. And as we go into this new year, that's going to be the major focus for the beginning of this year. Is how can we go from not just gathering people, gathering people is good, but it's not the goal. The goal is that we become like Jesus, and that doesn't happen merely by gathering. There's a deeper discipleship that has to happen. There's a deeper tying myself to the the cause of Christ and but tying myself to the cause of Christ with others. With others that I can look at and they can look at me and we can be honest with one another about where we are, about what's really going on in life and about what God is saying. That God is saying this to me and I need to follow through on it. Or God is saying this to me on behalf of you. And I think you need to follow through on it. There's a spiritual growth that happens only when it's in deep relational community with other people, deep discipleship, right? We can do all kinds of knowledge transferring by teaching the Bible, and that's fine. But teaching about just transferring knowledge does not deeply transform us. It's good, it can help with that. We need to be in God's Word. We need to be teaching and learning God's Word. But the place that transformation happens, that transformation happens is in deep relationship. And so we will begin to, to challenge one another to go to that level of depth, to, to go to those kind of levels of relationship with one another and to begin to band together, to, to be in mission with one another. And those two parts of of this series give us the kind of theological framework for the battle plan. And next week, we'll talk about a structural framework. You know, God sets out an organizational framework for his people. He doesn't just kind of give them a mission and say, all right, figure it out. (laughs) He actually gives them a mission and then he says, and this is how you can organize yourselves. This is how I'm gifting you to organize yourselves. This is how you can... Do accomplish this mission. The, these are the ways I gift people. These are the ways I call people. This is how it looks, and he begins to teach that and show that in the early church and in the New Testament. We begin to see that lived out. Right? God is very good at being consistent across Scripture, and every time He organizes His people, He gives them what they need to know, the theology, the laws. In the Old Testament, in our case, the, the missional call and the call to be unca- incarnational, like he gives us those and then he always then organizes his people. He says, okay, and this is how you can accomplish this so that it's not chaos, <laughs> so that it's not a free-for-all, so that people don't end up isolated, so that there are clear ways that people know how God can be calling them to serve and to lead, Right? And so we'll get into that next week.